0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast, which is um, to introduce you to the winner and the runners up of the Scottish Health Awards for last year as part of the NHS Global Citizenship category. It's my very great pleasure to uh, to chair this this afternoon with a colleague um, who will introduce himself in a minute. My name is Dr. Frida Newlands and I work predominantly in Dumfries and Galloway as an emergency medicine doctor, but myself also uh, travel quite widely with um, various humanitarian organisations to try and give aid around the world. Patrick, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Thanks very much, Frida. Hello, everyone. I am Patrick Farrell. I am one of the Scottish Clinical Leadership Fellows for this year and doing my GP training in the background of this. Um, Over the course of this year, I'm getting some exposure to global citizenship and I'm delighted to be able to join you today to speak to these inspiring individuals.
0: Thank you, Patrick. Um, And as I say, it's our our pleasure to be here to to talk to these um, three very amazing people. Um, They come from very different backgrounds with very different skills and work um, quite differently across the globe. And so I really want to talk to them about how that shapes their work with, as they come back to NHS Scotland and the type of things that they've learned from working across different partnerships, um, whether that's in a long-term partnership in a country that they visit um, quite frequently, or if it's going out to respond to conflict, disaster or outbreak, um, as a very emergency response. So our three winners, or our, our three um, uh, representatives of the category are Ishbel Campbell, uh, Dr. Robert Stewart, and Miss Andy Kent. And they will all in turn introduce themselves and give you a little snapshot about the type of work they do.
1: Thanks, Frida. Um, I'll take over just with the first question then and allow each of our finalists to introduce themselves. And I think everyone will agree that you all do very different things, but quite outstanding with the medical work you do in your chosen global health fields. With a short summary, could you each set the scene for our listeners and tell us about your global health work? Andy, I'll come to
2: you first, then Ishbal, then Robert. Thanks very much, Patrick. Um, so my name is Andy Kent. I'm an orthopedic and trauma surgeon based uh, up here in the Highlands at uh, Rigmore Hospital. Um, My background was military. Um, I left medical school, I don't want to say when, I think uh, 1987, um, and uh, joined the uh, Royal Army Medical Corps uh, and spent the next 18 years uh, as a uh, general duties doctor and subsequently as an orthopedic trainee and an orthopedic um, consultant in in the Army. Um, During that time, I served in multiple uh, overseas locations, some austere uh, and some hostile. When I left the army after the second Gulf War in 2002, uh, I was extremely lucky to be appointed here in Inverness um, as a a trauma orthopaedic consultant. Uh, We had four young children at that stage and um, I was still keen to, to do some overseas work, but it was only really as the children became more independent Um, that I was able to gradually explore working uh, overseas. Um, Initially, I uh, joined the... um, uh, Well, I was working with uh, ATLS, the Advanced Trauma Life Support uh, Group, as an instructor, uh, and the AO Foundation, uh, running some overseas courses, mainly in uh, Africa. Subsequently, I was asked to join the Primary Trauma Care Foundation, which is a a charity uh, run out of uh, Oxford University, Um, And that delivers ATLS type training in in, uh, austere environments, uh, mainly, again, in in sub-Saharan Africa. Around that time, I also enlisted with UK Med, which is the UK's main frontline uh, charity, um, as part of their emergency medical team, uh, and subsequently became the surgical lead uh, for UK Med and and remain so um, to date. Uh, with them i gradually uh, did more and more uh, overseas deployments uh, some in a training capacity uh, some in a a reactive emergency medical team uh, capacity and it seemed that from there my humanitarian career sort of blossomed every time i did a deployment someone would, would ask me to be involved in in something else and i'm sure Frieda, um will will, um, will support that that, that um, i think that there's quite a small cohort of people that are able to do these sort of deployments uh, and you become a, a fairly rare commodity and everyone's after a, a piece of you if you if you know what i mean um so that, yeah over the last uh, few years my my career has kind of blossomed my my overseas career working with um uk med with the world health organization primary trauma care foundation and uh, more recently with the halo trust uh, mine clearance organization uh, um, based out of Dumfries and Galloway, so it's it's been um, it's been quite a journey, um, very very interesting, very rewarding. Um, in the last year, it's been exceptionally busy, and over the past twelve months, I've spent over twenty four weeks deployed uh, in in various locations, mainly in Ukraine, but also in Yemen uh, and also in Borneo. And only this morning, I've had a phone call from UK Med asking if i would lead a recce team out to uh, malawi uh, in response to the 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 recent combination of the cholera outbreak and the the current cyclone that's affecting malawi so that's me up to date thank you
1: thank you very much andy fascinating to hear Ishbel, over to you hi thanks patrick my name is Isabel
3: Campbell. I currently work as an advanced nurse practitioner in West Lothian um, and have done so for the past five years. But I also travel to Uganda um, three plus times a year to work on obstetric fistula camps. I work alongside Ugandan nurses and surgeons and also go with a friend um, who's a colorectal surgeon from the UK. So for me, you know, coming across obstetric fistula, I don't know if Everyone knows what it is, but it's a devastating condition affecting some of the poorest, most margin- marginalised women in the world. Um, obstructed fistula leaves them with uncontrolled incontinence. They're wet day and night the rest of their life without surgical repair. Um, so most women in Uganda, or many, will deliver their babies without healthcare worker if they develop obstructed labour and they're delivering... The, you know, the baby gets stuck, um, they might be in labour two, three days, and by the time the baby comes out, it's usually pretty much always dead, and they're left with a fistula between their bladder and their vagina, so they're leaking urine. Um, you tend to find they're, they're, their husbands leave them, they're socially stigmatised, living in little mud huts with maybe their mother or aunt to look after them, they've lost their baby, they're young women um, who have really terrible lives, they can't work, they can't socialise, they can't go to church, can't go to the market um, and very most of them will suffer depression and there's a small number of attempts to suicide from their miserable existence and this is all because they're trying to do what most women in the world take for granted is getting married and having a baby. So I got introduced to um, this type of work through my friend uh, who's a colorectal surgeon 10 years ago and she asked me to come out to Uganda with her just to help with the nursing care because she'd been doing surgery for a while but really couldn't understand why the care on the ward was so poor and she she was coming in and out of theatre to try and sort out problems on the ward. Um, so that's how it all started. I got involved to work with the Uganda nurses to see what was happening and just to work out what the issues were. Um, so we started training the nurses ad hoc and in the beginning they would just um, work with me and copy what I was doing. And I saw very quickly, you know, this thing started to improve as they just watched and, and started doing what I was doing. And then we decided to start um, trying to see if we could formalise the training a bit more. So we wrote a book on Fischler Nursing Care with the nurses and a local Ugandan surgeon. We got together, wrote this book, because there's very little literature on this for the nurses, um, and then from there we wrote a, a training plan that um, that the nurses could use—a competency-based plan that we we you know developed on the ward and use it to train them. And we made some videos to demonstrate some of the key aspects of the nursing care. Um, and then once we set this up, we started bringing nurses from other hospitals that were doing physical care to the hospital for training and using this. Um, these training materials to to help train others and take it back to their own hospitals so that's where we're at, at the moment we're um training nurses um, and nursing care trying to train other people in other hospitals to be the trainer and to train their nurses as well and we're trying to expand it so that we can take the program to other official affected countries so
1: that's me that's great Ishbel. thank you very much you touch on the real human and quality of life aspects of the work that you're doing. Robert, I'll pass to you to finish this off.
2: Great.
4: Thanks very much, Patrick. It's really interesting to hear what um, Andy and Isabel have been, been doing. Um, I'm uh, Robert Stewart. I'm a perinatal psychiatrist. So that's a psychiatrist who, who specialises in mental health problems affecting women um, during pregnancy and after after they've delivered. Um, and I uh, work clinically in the um, Lothian Perinatal Mental Health uh, Service, um, but I've been going backwards and forwards to Malawi uh, for about 18 years now. I first went as uh took some time out of my specialist training um, and, uh, and have been going back, back since sometimes just brief periods and, and also a, a, a for four-year block um, uh, when I was head of department in the uh, College of Medicine, the Malawi's only medical school. Um, so for those who don't know, Malawi is a, a, a country of about 18 million people in uh, southeastern Africa. Um, it's a very low-income country. Most people uh, survive through subsistence farming, um, but it's a beautiful country, really varied uh um countryside and always would recommend anyone who's considering a visit to 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 do that um so as i said i work mainly uh my links have always been with the college of medicine and that's now called the camusa university of health sciences and it's combined medical school and the nursing college Um, and mental health has always been a a neglected area and within healthcare, and 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 Malawi is no different to that. And very little uh, percentage of the of the, the relatively small health budget that the ministry spends is spent on mental healthcare. And that's despite the the suffering associated with it and with the disability, um, which can often be be um, uh, long long term, particularly with one, some of the severe mental illnesses. Uh, and uh, most people in Malawi don't have access to, to kind of good quality evidence-based mental health care. Um, so mental, the setup of mental health care in, in Malawi is that it's centr- it's largely centralised um, until more recent years when there's been a programme of, of decentralisation led by the, the Ministry of Health who are very supportive of, of trying to develop mental health uh, services. Um, uh, and there's a there's a main government hospital in the southern part of Malawi called Zomba Mental Hospital and then there's an excellent charity called St John of God uh, Mental Health Services who run uh, hospitals and and community services in Lilongwe, the capital and up north in Mizuzu. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I said, community services really aren't, aren't well developed yet. Um, so I started uh, going to Malawi in 2005, and in, in early 2006, I um, helped uh, Dr. Friedrich Carrier, who was then the only Malawian psychiatrist in the whole country, to deliver the teaching to the medical students with some uh, colleagues from from Scotland, uh, and and that really kind of sparked interest in in in, in Scotland about And it came at the same time as there were strengthening links between scotland and malawi Um, uh, and some funding from the scottish government um, that allowed us to set up a charity called the scotland malawi mental health education project and uh, that's been running really for for over 15 years now Um, and it's a core there's a core business which is helping uh, the college to train medical students um, in psychiatry so that all doctors have core understanding of the main uh, mental health conditions but very importantly about um, uh, how you will, would approach people with mental health problems the important, importance of, of not holding stigmatizing attitudes or discriminating against them um, and that's been so a really that that core part has been sustained through short-term volunteers coming out from from the UK and other places for kind of three to six week teaching visits um, and, uh, and we've trained over a thousand medical students through that that process um SMEP has also supported uh the college to establish um, higher training in psychiatry um and that's been really exciting and we've now um, Uh, The the initial group of trainees, uh, one of them, Dr. Kulisewa, is the head of department now, and Dr. Um, Lewimbi is the chief psychiatrist at Somba Mental Hospital. And there are a number of trainees still uh, undergoing the the training program, which takes place partly in Malawi and partly in in South Africa. Um, So there's a real sort of sense of development there. Other things that SMEP have done that I've been involved with is we had set up an annual conference uh, that brings practitioners and um, from across Malawi together each year. um, And that was really good at raising kind of morale and and sharing knowledge. And then some colleagues, um, Nubli Kakota, Jen Ahrens and others, uh, did a a really good um, teaching programme for primary care um, uh, um, health workers. Um, in 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 mental health. So um, uh, I now work. Uh, I'm still very much involved with SNAP, um, but I'm uh, also work for the University of Edinburgh, and we've got two large research projects going on. Uh, one around the detection of psychosis, and the other one around mental health in pregnancy and its long-term effects on on children. Um, and that really links very nicely with my, my kind of NHS work.
0: Thank you all for that fantastic insight into what you do and such very, very different work, but massively valuable. And uh, I think it just gives us an idea about what kind of things people can do and link that into their NHS work. Um, The next question is something which I get asked frequently. It's almost a how do you you get to join that club? How do you get to... uh, to, to go and work overseas and, and do the kind of work you do. And there's often one turning point. And I just wondered, ask you all in, in turn again, Andy and then ishbell and then Robert, to if you can think of just one thing that got you from where you were then to where you are now, if there's one important thing that you can highlight. Andy.
2: Thanks, Frida. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be to be proactive. Um, I, like a lot of people, um, saw the Nepal earthquake uh, happen, and as an orthopedic surgeon, I thought I want to get involved, um, but I hadn't been proactive. I wasn't part of any club. I hadn't uh, onboarded with UK Med at that time, um, and I was frantically appealing to them to to send me to Nepal, but um, they said sorry you know we don't know who you are you haven't uh on boarded with us you're not part of the um, of our deployable asset so um and i was a bit upset at that stage but but now i find myself 10 years later faced with exactly the same situation of consultant colleagues contacting me and saying i want to go to turkey because i've seen it on the television Um, Can I go? And you need to be proactive. You need to get involved with these things in advance of situations rather than than react. So, yeah, I think uh, onboarding with UK Med, which, um, as I say, are a a well-established charity. There are lots of other charities, but UK Med um, has that um, capacity. Uh, And I think if you're interested in doing these sort of deployments, then uh, onboarding with any team In advance is important. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Andy. I think that's a fantastic piece of advice and um, and a good advert for UK Med too. Ishbel, can you think of one thing that maybe um, led your journey to where you are now? Thanks,
3: Frida. Yeah, I think I'm very lucky because it was a friend of mine who was a colorectal surgeon that actually invited me to come with her really to look at the nursing care and see where you know why things weren't happening and what was going on. Um, so I think in my situation, I'm very lucky. It was it's through who pe- people you know and contacts. But like Andy says, you know I get so many nurses asking me, can I come and help you and can I come and work in, in Uganda. But you know the problem is I'm trying to teach the Ugandan nurses, so it's it, it's it's a difficult balance to find out where bringing somebody else will fit. When actually we want the work to be done by Ugandan nurses and not taking other people out to do the work for them. Um, so for me, I think I was very lucky, just having a friend and colleague that was already doing this work.
0: Thank you, Ishbel, and you raise a very um, pertinent, pertinent and important point there about uh, it's not we who want to go in and do stuff necessarily, but to enable and to facilitate. Um, those people in their own country to be able to take on the role, um, but if we can help somehow by uh, demonstrating and sharing our knowledge and skills. Thank you, Ishbel. Robert, your turn.
4: Yeah, so um, I, th- I think kind of getting out to Malawi was for me. I knew I knew I wanted to work in in a, uh, a low income setting, um, and and actually working as a psychiatrist, it was. There was a bit of a sense of, of that. Oh, well, what, what what could you do? It's not it's not like being able to go out and do infectious diseases or, or or, or surgery, and and would there the cultural differences be so so huge to be, not be able to be over, overcome? But I, I sort of, um, uh, I, I kind of persisted, and, and I was ending up in Malawi kind of by chance, really, but it's, but it was a contact. Um, of somebody I, I i um who was a, a pediatrician working working there um so so that initial um uh, um kind of link and the, and, and the sort of the, the initial time time in malawi but i think the most important go- thing going forward is the relationships that you develop with your your colleagues from from the country you're you're working in i think that's um absolutely uh Critical to to where possible, yeah, develop sort of on, ongoing uh, um, relationships to um, make sure that the partnership is is uh, reciprocal and and um, and we. I mean, within SET we've made all all the mistakes, we've made them, um, uh, and I'm sure we still haven't got it right. But I think we are. Um, improving and and uh I, I think what we what we do is is um appreciated and and um and having sort of support from from things like the scotland malawi partnership is is very helpful in terms of guiding uh the move to toward making sure that the that partnerships are um are truly partnerships and not sort of one-way um uh, affairs so so um, that's would be my my thoughts
0: thank you very much that's uh, it's fascinating to hear how you've each reached the the point that you are now thank you
1: robert i'm going to stick with you um you've told us a bit about your background from the perinatal psychiatry side with nhs lothian and the university of edinburgh and also wider mental health and mental health training in malawi I wonder if you could tell us about how perceptions have changed in Malawi with regards to mental health, and how the services have changed since you've been involved.
4: Yeah, so I, um, I think there has been a, a definite change over the, the the time I've been been going to Malawi over the last sort of uh, fifteen years or so. Um, in in attitudes, certainly amongst health workers, and that's been a really important. Part of what what we've been doing as in in SMAP is, is 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 part of the teaching of the medical students. It's to to inculcate these um, the change in attitudes towards people with with mental health problems, um, uh, and to overcome a lot of sort of myths and and, and stigmatising attitudes. Uh, and then those those medical students, when they become doctors, kind of transmit those uh, attitudes to their uh to their teams and and um really kind of um improve uh the the care um for the for people with with these often very very difficult situations that are made worse by the stigma they experience um i think there's still a lot of uh in the community still a lot of stigma and and, and misunderstandings around uh mental health conditions um uh, and uh, a real sort of need to to kind of further reach out and, and um, uh, try and change those 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 uh, views. And that's a lot of that's going to will come, I think, partly from from professionals, but also from people with lived experience working through various um, routes uh, in Malawi. There's the, the Malawi Mental Health Users and Carers Association um that was established by uh um people with lived experience of, of mental health problems and uh that's been really uh helpful and continues to be in um in raising community awareness around around mental health um so so it's things have improved but there's still a long way to go i think uh, as there is globally um in terms of services i think the key they no question they've really improved um uh the through largely through the the increased numbers of trained personnel and that's not just the doctors that we've been involved in training but there's the nursing college has really got a very strong uh, mental health department and the saint john of god um, have been training clinical officers so there's there's a lot more um expertise in mental health in the in the services um and there've been some improvements in infrastructure as well um but there are still major problems uh and uh, there's um even in the the specialist centers on the mental hospital um there's uh ongoing need for for training for improved processes around things like risk assessment um uh and uh continual need to keep an eye on 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 problems with sort of human rights uh um issues that can can be um very easy people with mental illness when they're most unwell are very vulnerable uh and there's a need for kind of ongoing kind of oversight and and um of, of practice um so uh great improvements uh and uh with uh, with the increasing numbers of of malawian uh, health professionals specializing in mental health i'm sure those improvements will continue
1: thank you robert
0: fish um it's great to talk to you all the way from uganda where you're actually working at the moment and Um, you mentioned that you're an advanced nurse practitioner in Lothian in a a GP practice and you've also explained to us again how you managed to get involved with your um, friend and colleague Um, but the type of work that you're doing and the the women that you're working with it must be such a sensitive field and I just wonder what cultural barriers that you encountered um, when you first went out to work there
3: Thanks, Frida. Yeah, I think, you know, never mind the patients, but the nursing staff, there was a lot of cultural stuff. I just didn't understand and couldn't understand why things weren't being done, weren't happening. And, you know, there was a lot of unpicking of why the nursing care, why the patients were just left on beds and not looked after. And it took a long time for me to work out what was going on with the nurses, let alone the patients who had had, you know, a traumatic experience in life. Um, But it's understanding just how the system works. And often these nurses that were coming to work on the surgical camp, they were also doing night duty on other wards and then coming during the day, expected to work all day as well. And the camps are really busy. You're on your feet for 12 hours a day. And so to realise that, you know, they were probably just exhausted most of the time, um, not getting much rest. And then I'm expecting them to, to go and look after patients, take blood pressures, do this, do that. And and it wasn't being done. So and in the beginning, I was doing it myself because I didn't understand what was going on. And then they would tell you they'd done it and you find they hadn't. And and it's just, you know, working with people, understanding the cultural things, what's happening, how they work. Um, it did take, it take took many years actually to, to, to work out how to do things and how to do things differently, and especially when you don't have the same equipment, the same um, you know, stuff we have at home to look after patients. As for the patients, yeah, lots of cultural issues that um, it has taken a long time as well to understand what goes on in their home lives, how things work with husbands, particularly when they leave them, when they become wet, where they go, they tend to go back to live with the mother. Um, things like you know and there's very often very few husbands that will come with them there might you might see the odd one every three months or so that you're out here uh so lots of things that way that i've learned but yeah it's taken a long time to work out what's going on and and why things are the way they are and what people will tell you when it's not true and they'll all they all just want to please you and they don't want to offend and the culture is very different that's what i found that um you have to be the same back with them and you know be gentle back and, and try not to question them or, or be cross with them when you find things are not as expected. So that's probably yeah, as much as I have to say on the cultural barriers.
0: Thank you, Ishbel. It's it's it is a, a whole minefield, isn't it, when you're working in a different area and as you say, you've not only got cultural differences with the stigma and um, presentation of your patients, but but also different working patterns and uh, expectations from your nurses. But uh, absolutely fascinating. Thank you.
1: Andy, over to you next. Um, you were telling us earlier that you've worked in many different countries already. And more recently that has changed quite rapidly between country to country. I wonder what your advice would be on adapting and learning about a country's culture quickly, whenever it's changing so fast, and whenever you don't necessarily have time for relationship building or deeper preparation.
2: Thanks, Patrick. Um, Yeah, as I say, very serendipitous, because um, I've just been sitting looking at uh, Malawi on the Foreign Office website. Uh, I might find myself there tomorrow. Actually, I've been to Malawi um, several years ago with the Primary Trauma Care Foundation, but that just sort of typifies what can happen um working for an emergency medical team unfortunately you know for for geopolitical reasons um sudden onset disasters and man-made disasters do tend to disproportionately affect the 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 lower income and middle income uh, countries um and um many of these are in the sort of sub-saharan african continent and in the middle east uh, and that's where i found myself i seem to have the um found myself painted into a niche corner of of going to all the, the sort of um uh, middle east countries um and you know i think my advice would be that y- you have to w- walk carefully uh, when you go into these countries um they tend to be naturally wary about outside healthcare uh, providers uh, particularly you know rich white um christian um know countries such as uh, such as the UK ex-colonial countries Um, and what I tend to do is uh, you know I'll I'll go in and I'll just try and keep quiet and uh, observe uh, watch for uh, a few days uh, gradually integrate yourself um, and try not to be too forceful and overbearing obviously that can be difficult if you're reacting to a major disaster and and you need to get um, get involved quickly but um, you know, one has to think about the, the longer term. And a lot of what we do is not just the reactive stuff, but the capacity building as well. Um, and if if they see that you're um, respectful of their um, culture and relig- religion, it makes it a lot easier to capacity build going forward. I'm not saying necessarily, you know, one has to go native, but, um, um, you know, I think it's just a case of, so sort of gradually finding your feet and and forming relationships that way thank thanks. you
1: Andy um again your point and what Ishbel was mentioning about her work in uganda of that proactive awareness of a different culture and a different way of doing things and being open yourself to be able to adapt to that so thanks for giving that insight
0: so this is your quick fire round questions for each one of you um I will do it alphabetical in terms of your first name. So that's back to you, Mr. Kent. Um, what keeps you going? So we've heard all of you talk about the, the kind of work that you do in, in global citizenship. But what motivates you and why do you keep doing it? Andy.
2: OK, well, it's not the podcasts and the webinars for sure. Uh, but but but. Saying that the the media interest i think is is important i've um and i i what what really motivates me is is the the students that i see the young doctors that come up to me um i think as a consequence one of the few silver linings of the globe of the um of the pandemic is that a lot of junior doctors are more and more interested in um giving something back um uh, a lot of a, a lot of junior junior doctors are coming up asking how do they get involved in this and um so podcasts like this i think are um are very motivating both for me uh, and for uh, junior doctors so thank you
0: and what 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 makes you what made you this morning know that you would just pick up your bag and go what keeps you going
2: yeah i mean i, I think i I like working in a, in a team environment where everyone's pulling in the same direction. Um, everyone's motivated. Uh, it, it's very rewarding, very refreshing, dare I say. Um, and it, it's what keeps me going in my NHS practice is uh, being able to, to, um, to have these relatively small uh, deployments um, overseas.
0: Thank you, Andy, that I completely uh, mirror that thought. Um, Over to you, Ishbel. Same question, so uh, what motivates you and what keeps you going?
3: Thanks, Frida. For me, I'm quite sure you know what I'm going to say, but it's a smile on one of those fistula ladies' faces when they're dry. So at the end of the two weeks of having a catheter in and they realise they're now dry, they can live a normal life again, they can, you know, find another husband, remarry, try and have a family, go to church, go to market, for me, the smile on their faces says it all, and it's why it brings me back time and time again. It's so rewarding, helping these patients.
0: It, it's just entirely life-changing, isn't it, Isabel? Absolutely, in for these women, it. yeah, you give them their life back by
3: yeah. Yeah, giving fixing them, helping them. And also, I suppose, from the nursing side, we're on the ward with them every day looking after them, and they come in so miserable, and they won't look at you, they won't smile, and by the end of the week, they've got used to you being around, used to seeing a white person, and they're hugging you. And, they, and although you can't speak their language, they're just so grateful for uh, for the help that you've given them.
0: I think that perfectly sums up why it's worth getting out of bed to do your job. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, Robert, same for you. What makes you keep going in your global citizenship work?
4: Yeah. So So for me, I think as... Because most of my work has been around around training, um, so it is about seeing the the young Malawian uh, clinicians, um, whether that's doctors or nurses, um, developing as as uh, clinically um, becoming kind of skilled in, in in clinical provision of mental health care, or as educators. Um, it's been really fantastic seeing the, um, for instance, one sort of our most Recently graduated uh, psychiatrists, um, has taken on uh, leading the undergraduate training uh, program. Uh, so it's that that sense of, of uh, transferring from from the need for people to come from overseas to to it being done uh, um, within within the country. Um, uh, and then and others who, who are doing kind of get, get interested in research that's so really great to to, to be able to, to support them to do to do that as well um, so that's the real yeah real motivator for me
0: thank you it just sounds like you you're so enthusiastic about um, developing that legacy from uh, the the work that you've managed to do in Malawi over the years and then to to hand it over to up and coming uh, enthusiastic local doctors. That's fascinating, thank you.
1: Thanks, Frida. And um, moving into our final question um, for a little bit of a Desert Island Discs theme of what you're each gonna bring with you. Robert, I'm gonna come back to you first. What is the one essential thing other than your travel documents that you've got in your travel bag
4: so for me, it's an inflatable pillow, so very handy for back support in sort of bouncy vehicles on bumpy roads. And uh, also I'm very partial to a repower nap, so it's very helpful for that.
1: Very good, that's extremely practical and good portable comfort. Um, Ishbel, over to you, what's the one essential that you're going to bring with you?
3: Now, for anyone that knows me, they're going to know it's my hair straighteners. Can't go anywhere without them. But actually, really, what would be more helpful is a pocket of packet, a packet of pocket handkerchiefs because you never know what the toilets are going to be like. So if it's not my hair straighteners, it would be the hankies.
1: Again, that's very insightful um, and very informative for our listeners. There's something there about feel good, look good. Um, and finally, Andy, if you end up getting um, tapped on the shoulder to go to Malawi tomorrow,
2: what are you bringing with you? Very good question. As an orthopod, you'd expect me to say a, a Leatherman, um, but obviously not hair straighteners. So, um, <laughs> no, I think I would be practical and say I, I always make sure I have a, a, a well-charged uh, smartphone preloaded with emergency numbers uh, and with local maps. Uh, boring, but um, uh, it can be very essential.
1: There is something in the essential background of your training in that answer. So um, thank you very much for sharing.
0: Well, what I'd just like to say was what a fascinating hour that I've spent listening to you three, truly inspirational, uh, wonderful people. And I've been scribbling some themes down as as you've been talking. And it it actually just seems to compile the perfect CD, CV for a humanitarian worker so training capacity building adaptability taking opportunities uh developing being respectful uh managing to create relationships uh diplomacy i mean these are all fantastic words that you have told us about your work today and that's just wonderful um and what I'd like to just say also is that you you truly inspire work across the NHS Scotland because I'm sure people who will be listening to this podcast will be thinking how can I get involved and and what possibly have I got to offer um not everyone can to, can drop everything and and pick up their hair straighteners and their inflatable pillow and their leatherman and their uh marmite, which no one mentioned um and get their bag and get out of the door and but there is so much that you can do at home there's so much that you can help to share across your own community and find out what's going locally Um, and I think I just want to thank you all for such an amazing uh, podcast of inspirational talks and to to say that you were absolutely the best Uh, three people who should be on that award list and congratulations again to Andy who was the final winner. Patrick have you got anything to add?
1: Thank you very much Freda and again I will echo um, your thanks to our three guests who've been fascinating to have this conversation with and great to share such personal stories as well. Um, I also want to extend a thanks to the NHS Scotland Global Citizenship Programme, who've helped support the production of this podcast. And if you've enjoyed listening today and are interested in finding out more, um, head over to the website at www.scottishglobalhealth.org for more information. And I think that wraps us up. So thank you very much, guys, and take care.
4: Thank you. Thank you.